Welcome to Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, where the best minds in the drone world come to engage. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher at Inside Unmanned Systems, coming to you live from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., with your hosts, Sean Bullard and James Poss. Hello, I'm James Poss. And I'm Sean Bullard. Welcome to Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, sponsored by Rodian Schwartz. Today's guest is Luke Fox. CEO and founder of White Fox. Well, if you've been following the podcast uh, since the beginning of the month, we've been concentrating on counter UAS. So our first speaker was Dan Johnson, former DHS analyst that talked about the terrorist threat, what ISIL was doing with drones. We had two speakers from the United Kingdom that talked about the Gatwick incident, what the uh, careless and uh, clueless uh, threat was from drones. Uh, we then started talking about what we could do about uh, countering drones. And the first thing we talked about was tracking. We had David Sandler in from Rodian Schwartz, who talked about how you can track drones using their radio frequency uh, signature, their data link and whatnot. Uh, we also talked about how you can track drones using radars. We had a speaker uh, from uh, Griffin Sensors that uh, talked about tracking with radar and electro-optical. Now we're going to talk about what we can actually do to stop rogue drones. And we've got one of the best speakers in the business to talk about this with Luke Fox, and we're going to kind of divide uh, what we can actually do about drones into what we can do in the electronic spectrum and then what we can do against them physically. So, Luke, um, you're going to tell us about how we can jam their data links. Is that true? Well, not quite, but I will tell you how White Fox, uh, our technologies allow people to be able to stop drones without having to shoot something at them or chase them down. Oh, okay, now what, what do you mean? I was told that you that you had a jamming system. Is it not a jamming system? So our technology uh, is designed very much intentionally not to be a jammer. So when you look at jamming, jamming is about disruption, about barrage disruption, about disrupting not just one drone, but when you jam, you disrupt all the drones. You disrupt authorized communications, and that makes it illegal and unsafe. So uh, we have White Fox's technology actually uses a technology called spoofing or packet insertion, signal injection. There's a number of different names to it. And what it allows you people to do is actually take control of the drone and target it safely, remove it from the airspace without affecting other drones. Ah, okay, so, you're so not brute force jamming then. Okay, I stand corrected. So, so this is a perfect example of we have both asked people what white fox does over the last probably year or two and every individual may give a totally different answer unless they're working (laughs) directly with you and so when i first started to pull back the onion on white fox i i thought of how fascinating was that you kind of morphed into this from building drones or manufacturing and then you you saw a challenge you thought you might be able to develop a solution and then i believe you call it a master controller is is that kind of where we're going with this that's that's exactly it and that's from the early days of building drones and realizing that we almost accidentally sold drones to potential terrorists and saying this is going to be a problem, and when it does become a problem, the entire drone industry is going to suffer. We need a system to be able to safely remove drones rather than shooting them out of the sky or jamming all the drones. So that's where the technology, that kind of master controller idea comes in. Okay, okay but, and- you're, but you're hacking. You're not, uh, you're not really jamming. 
Well, hacking is a bad word. <laughs> no, uh, we so we don't we don't advertise we don't say hacking per se. What we do is we have a master controller, similar to, as you think of like a universal controller, okay. and that allows you to take control of the drone and remove it. <laughs> okay, now uh, we're we're going to have to have some talk about that. You used another tech, uh, another word that maybe our, our listeners aren't familiar with. You also mentioned that you spoofed drones. Could you go mm-hmm. into detail on what that is? Yeah. So when you, when you look at a drone, drones <coughs> are controlled through their uh, data link, their telemetry link, and uh, or at least have the ability to be controlled through that uh, control link. So what we can do is our technology actually takes the original controller signal and takes it and communicates to the drone, locks out the original pilot, and then becomes that sole controller to then reroute the drone to safely land it. So it could do that on one drone, but also has been effective against dozens of swarm uh, swarm drones at a single time. Wow. So how do you main, so in other words, you have to have very intimate knowledge of what any potential, you know, clueless, careless criminal drone operator is using. So you've got to constantly be scanning as to whatever any of the OEMs are doing out there. How do you maintain a library like that so that you know how to precisely get into the data link of that drone and tell it to go home or whatever? Yeah, so White Fox, because we start out as a drone manufacturer, we have a deep, intimate knowledge of the telemetry and communication protocols of drones. And what most people don't realize is that drone communication signals are largely made up of uh, a handful, just a a handful of different types of protocols, ranging from uh, more open source and standardized protocols like Bluetooth or Wi-Fi to traditional RC protocols uh, that based off of Futaba and DSMX, and then finally proprietary communication protocols. But all of those really stem and grow from each other, and you can look at it very much. We use language graph analysis, uh, looking at those and using that type of AI technology to really analyze and understand how these protocols develop. They don't, they don't come from somewhere overnight, right? They're growing off each other very much like human language. So you've got a, a good good area to start from um, because you know the basics of how drones communicate with each other. So you're saying uh, the fact that there are some propriety signal formats out there, that's not a huge challenge to you because you know the basics of what it takes to control a drone. So you're not constantly having to have these very, very um, um, detailed libraries in order to, to do your job. Exactly. So what we do with that is there's different layers to it. So there's the breadth and the depth. So we focus both on that breadth, but then also on the depth where our customers say, hey, this drone is causing particular issues or uh, through different analysis that we do across the industry to say which drones are really causing the most issues out there, which ones are the most popular. And those are then the ones that we can go into those extra layers of depth on. But it's just like going over, going to a country that speaks Spanish. There's a lot of different countries that speak Spanish, and they all speak it with different flavors. But you can get by and do what you need to do with 
with general high-level Spanish. And then when you need, if you're going to go to a country and really need to focus in on that, you can then dive to deeper layers to really learn the intricacies and, of that language. Okay. Sean, I know we're not going to cover cybersecurity for drones. Right. So we'll do right. that in a different episode. Right. But, but I but want Luke, to. What, what I'm hearing is yeah. there is no cybersecurity for drones because this sounds pretty easy to get into any drone data link out there. Is, it, is that true? Should I be more frightened about cybersecurity? Well, if, if if it were easy, then I'd say there'd be a lot of people doing it. And there's a reason that we have a, a team of over 50 people dedicated to analyzing these signals, to understanding the threat, and uh, ranging from PhDs all the way down to world-class hackers it's uh, and reverse engineers. It's, uh, it's certainly not a simple task. It's something that White Fox has spent years developing the technology and building up that library and the artificial intelligence to really understand what's happening between the drones. It's the, uh, there are certainly some drones out there that are more vulnerable than others, but for the vast majority of drones out there, especially the ones that you see at department stores, they're, fa- they're fairly secure against the, the average attacker. So, so Luke, that, that begs the question, how many s- signal dialects are you dealing with? Yeah, you, you talked about Spanish and a couple accents. I mean. <clears throat> yeah, so when you, when you look at it, you think it's very if similar to a language us. tree. It, it's very similar to a language tree. So at a, at a high level, there's, pro- there's approximately six main different uh, stems, of the, uh, stems to the language tree. And as that goes, you get different complexities. And for the large part, when a new drone comes out, for example, the protocol doesn't change. There might be at most a slight tweak to it. So you can say anywhere from six all the way to over 60. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you, talk about if something new comes online and there's a new protocol, what if you are actually able to, you're, you're, you're defining that protocol, but what if there is a, let's say there's a nefarious individual who, who, who knows that you recognize that protocol, pulls out one that you actually are familiar with, but then takes that platform or that vehicle and turns it into a lone wolf back to kind of your swarm technology analysis. How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you deal with something that you might think is familiar, but someone has made it now unfamiliar? Sure. So, and that's where, that's where some of the, the more advanced analysis comes in. There's certainly uh, technologies out there that will tell you, for example, that uh, this drone has, drones have an SSID uh, that say, hey, this is this particular model in the SSID. There's very basic analysis you can do right. all the way to actual spectrum analysis and looking at the inherent principles of the radio chips that drones use. And that's where we really hone in so that it's not necessarily protocol dependent, but it goes to the highest level of just how drones communicate using the radio technology that they that they have implemented inside them. And is that part of your service? I mean, so uh, you know, let's say you've uh, sold a system to uh, you know Canadian Armed Forces and... Uh, you know, they've got a problem with one of these guys Sean was talking about. Do you have a team set by that would uh, help them with that specific one-off type of system, or, or are you only able to cover, you know, general stuff like, you know, DJI drones or something like that? So the White, the White Fox approach is, is very much focused on how do we safely integrate drones into the, air, the airspace? How can we allow drones to be used for good? And that comes by just 
creating a system that's that highway patrol in the sky, helping to stop the clueless and the careless and those opportunistic criminals. We do also, on top of that, offer services for people who have more specialized needs who say, this drone is a particular threat. We need to understand what's going on here. Okay, gotcha. So, you know, what most of your service is set towards is kind of like what we talked about, the guy that's buying the off-the-shelf drone that may be clueless or careless, and then the opportunistic criminals are ones that aren't doing much modification. But then if you do have somebody that is a smart player, you, you can uh, you can take uh, control of that as well. Um, let's talk about authorities uh, out there. I know that uh, we, Sean and I used to go around and around about this and truth in advertising. I love, you know, policy. I'm a political science major. You know, Sean gets paid mainly to be a lobbyist out there. Um, isn't it true that most of the techniques that you're talking about were illegal to use in the United States until the FAA Reauthorization Act back in November? Absolutely not. Oh, man. <laughs> this may cost Absolutely me a beer with not. Sean here. Ex- exactly. Explain so, that. So when you talk about what's illegal, there's a difference between something being explicitly legal and something that's illegal. There is n- The counter-drone technology has never, ever been illegal. Now, there's been certain ways to use different types of counter-drone technology illegally. That is for sure. So, for example, if grandma next door says, hey, I hate drones, I'm going to turn on a barrage jammer, and she she turns on that barrage jammer, that is illegal. But it's not because she's using counter-drone technology. There are counter-drone technologies that are illegal when used by certain people, and that is what changed Uh, with the authorities. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay, so let me just take that a little further and pull yeah, on that Don't thread. let me put words into your mouth. Yeah, yeah, either. yeah. So you earlier, when we when we spoke earlier, one of your colleagues earlier last week or the week before last week, they had told me how exciting it is for you to do a demo um, because they were so boring. Um, can can you embellish on that a little bit? I think it was a Canadian demo or something. Demo, where they, they, you know, you really have to make sure you have the right people in the room, so to speak, outside in, in, in Mother Nature, because um, it, it's it's so subtle when master control um, or the master controller, um, uh, somewhat like NASA, Houston, master control, <laughs> takes control yes. of the aircraft before it reenters the atmosphere. And, and you, you told me that it's just really not, a, it's not really good theater. Can you embellish it, on that? Yeah. How are you selling your product is what I'm yeah. trying to ask you, because it is it, 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 because of that. I think he's trying yeah. to deflect because I think I was right on that first thing about the, uh... <laughs> well, well, we'll definitely come back to the, the authority side, but I, that's a great question. So when we, when we do do demos, when we first start uh, years ago, when we first started doing demos of the technology, that because our technology is designed to be scalable and because our philosophy is we need to have technology out there that's easy to use, that's scalable, that is, that's accessible. And in doing so, it's a simple press of a button, uh, or you can set it to be automatically, uh, to automatic, any drone that flies into airspace, whether it's over a facility or over in any airspace around you, and that flies within there that's not on the whitelist, that's not a friendly, then gets taken control of and safely landed or rerouted or sent back to where it's launched from. And it happens so quickly, literally less than a second, 0.6 seconds on average, that happens so quickly 
and with so and so simplistically that people are like, well, where's the big explosion? You know, I saw a demo where I shot a gun at it, a shot net at it, a drone went chasing it around for 20 minutes, right? All those different things. Right. And so what we do is we fa- we found two things. One is that a, a lot of our customers, unfortunately, uh, they when they think of the drone threat, they think about terrorists and they think right. about the criminal. Right. And what in reality. The, the secret of the industry, or at least the secret we found, and I'll, I'll put this out there for everybody, is that the majority of our customers are, yes, security-focused, minded personnel. But what people don't realize is a lot of the customers in this industry are not security. It's business continuity because it's insurance. Because when a drone flies over Gatwick, that shuts down the airport. That causes huge collateral damages and costs to the airport. So back to where when we talk, to, when we uh, demonstrate technology to customers, we have customers. We say, "Hey, have you ever flown a drone?" And they say, "No." And we say, "Well, you're going to learn how easy it is." And we say, "We're going to, in under 45 seconds, teach you to fly this drone." 45 second demo. We have we have it all prepared. How to fly the drone, and they're up and flying that drone, and they say, "Holy cow, this is so easy!" And we say, "That's exactly the problem. Right? It's because it's so easy, anybody can do it, okay. no matter what their intent is." Before Sean can wriggle out of uh, losing the bet here, you know, because uh, we have a difference of opinion on what was and was not legal <laughs> before the FAA Reauthorization Act. Yeah. Okay. Now here here's my proposition. Yes. Uh, before the Reauthorization Act, and last. Really, the only people that had the authority, the authority to use these kind of techniques in the United States was really the Department of Defense around DOD facilities, uh, Department of Energy around some you know nuclear facilities, and then literally uh, Secret Service, but only if the pre- life of the president was in danger. Because everyone else, because what you're talking about doing is you're talking about um, uh, essentially wiretapping. Uh, because you're out there, you know, listening not to publicly broadcast signals, but signals that have some expectation of privacy between that remote pilot and his aircraft. And then you're also talking, really, it's a, it's a polite term, but you're talking about hacking uh, into that system to put the commands in that the, the remote pilot didn't want to. I, I'm going to argue that, um, you know, before November of 2018, the only people that could do that was the DOD and a uh, couple of other folks. But that was the big breakthrough in that reauthorization act was it, it made it clear that, uh, you know, it's not wiretapping, it's not hacking if the DOD and DHS and FAA are the ones doing that. Now, did I get that part right? So, There's a beer riding on it, so be careful. <laughs> so th- there's definitely a, a lot to dive into there, and I'll I'll touch on it because because it is it's an interesting topic. I will say that the Reauthorization Act solved a lot of these uh, issues, but what the way there's certainly ways, as I mentioned before, to do counter UAS illegally. And even if it's not illegal, to do counter-U.S. dangerously or with more collateral damage than necessary. The interesting thing about what uh, previous to the FAA Reauthorization Act is that White Fox was – our technology was tested and determined that there are aspects to it that allow people to be able to not fall under the wiretapping, not fall under um, the other aspects that are commonly uh, portrayed as what makes counter-U.S illegal by certain operators. For example, I'm just talking about the yeah. U.S., so Canada and those other guys, we're not going to talk about them. <laughs> sure. So when, when we look at uh, counter-U.S., 
what uh, what our technology does is it does not. Uh, there are certain aspects of it where you can analyze and do threat analysis on uh, within the signal. But you can also step above the signal and not go into the signal. Therefore, you do not violate any wiretap concerns. On top, and then you add to that the fact that drones are operating on the ISM band, industrial scientific medical bands, which has no expectation of privacy. Uh, as long, and as long as there's no uh, personal identifiable information in there. And so there's different analysis that has been done, and I am certainly not a lawyer, but I do spend a lot of my time uh, working through these different issues with different stakeholders. The FAA Reauthorization Act, what it did is it said, we're going to say all of those concerns that have been raised and all the debate that's been done what matters is that it was not explicitly allowed. It was not explicitly authorized, yeah, yeah. and because okay. of that, the Reauthorization Act, that's what it solved. But there is certainly a lot of room uh, previously for people to operate safe and effective counter-U.S. systems that did not cause... Okay, so the Reauthorization damage. Act removed ambiguity. There was somewhat of a legal argument that you could do it because you're talking about the externals on the signal vice the internals. Exactly. So I'm going to call this a draw, Sean. I don't know what you're going to say next here. So we're going to take a little break here to give you a message from our sponsor. Thank you for joining Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, sponsored by Rody and Schwartz, a leader in test and measurement for radar and EW, satellite technology, avionics, navigation, and guidance. Rody and Schwartz products help protect critical infrastructures with drone detection and defense solutions. Learn more at InsideUnmannedSystems.com. So I, I just want to go, I want to back up, I want to go into the gutter here because you actually mentioned that there are some out there in this space who are just dangerous. And, and so when it comes to counter UAS, so just because you're the one who opened the door, Luke, I'm going to ask it. So you're sitting around yeah, the don't office. Don't mention the company names. Don't mention the company names, but just just tell us, like, get get down in into the into the basic brass tacks. Like when you are sitting around the office with the rest yeah, of so your what's, team. What's illegal? Yeah. What, what, what are some of people do where you just you just you just go you hit yourself on the forehead and say, I can't believe they're doing that. Oh, absolutely. Well, the, and don't mention the really company goes, names. Absolutely, absolutely not. What what it comes down to is what are people doing? What are these? What are the goals of different companies? What are the goals of these people? And well, for White Fox, our goal is always, always to pioneer the safe integration of drones into society, and we know that a key part of that is securely managing drones. So what break, what truly breaks my heart. What breaks Luke's heart, Luke Fox's heart is when we see people saying drones are scary. They're going they're going to blow up, uh, you know, cities and all of these just these ridiculous notions. When really the fact of the matter is, drones are amazing tools. They are powerful tools. They democratize airspace, and that means they need to be managed properly. They are not. They are not. Everybody is going to blow up a, the airport with a with the ter- with a you know with a drone to attach a bomb to it. What matters is the fact that a 13-year-old kid could disrupt the airport. So, and that is the threat. The threat of drones is the disruptive value, and that is what concerns us when as stakeholders in the drone industry is when we see people having counter drone technologies that cause more disruption than if they just let the drone fly. Right, right. So that's from jammers to kinetic systems. 
right? Kinetic systems have a place. Shooting a projectile, chasing it down with a drone, shooting a net at it, all of those things have a place, but when you not in the urban environment, not in airspace where you're going to cause more disruptive value, because the fact is, you look at an airport, we have systems installed at airports, and we see multiple drones every single day flying within hundreds of meters of those airports. Now, if these, if these other companies, if their technologies worked, they would be, they would be bras jamming constantly. Right. Mm. And that's the fact is, the fact is drones are out there. People just aren't seeing them, but they're out there and they're really not taking down aircraft. They're not crashing into airliners. Right. We do need that separation, and we do need a way to safely manage them, and that's where a safe, effective counter-U.S. technology. Okay, so you're, what, what you're saying, uh, you know, and, and i got to put this in context. We had Dan Johnson, who was a senior a small UAS analyst for Department of Homeland Security, and what he mentioned was there is a class of drones out there that you have to worry about that fly autonomously. You know, mm-hmm. that don't take an input from uh, from an operator out there. And I, I think it you know, would be accurate to say that uh, a system like yours wouldn't work against a drone that was flying truly autonomously and not taking uh, data link uh, inputs. But what you're saying is that's, you know, 0.0001% of, uh, of the threat out there is someone that is going to, you know, not just be a criminal, but be a very purposeful criminal or a terrorist that are going to design a system to do that. Your system works against the other 99.99%, and you really only need the physical measures, which we're going to talk about in our next episode, uh, against those guys that are really determined that aren't using a data link. Is, is that an accurate characterization? That, that's exactly it, and I'll add two, two key points to that. that. That's exactly right. On top of that, when we look at the data link, we've, our technology has been tested by uh, uh, by MOD, Ministry of Defense uh, analysts, and it's actually effective against the vast majority of autonomous drones. Because autonomous drones, they still have a data link, even if they're not actively being controlled. Uh, and that right. is what we focus on. So they'd still respond to input unless you've got exactly. a very sophisticated operator. Well, let's talk about you know something else, because I always hear that uh, you know even if you do have an autonomous drone and it's a sophisticated operator and he's turned off any external inputs, um, 99 times out of 100, uh, they're going to be using uh, some type of GPS in order to uh, navigate. Uh, have you guys looked into GPS jamming to, to go after those really nefarious operators? Is that a viable technique? Yeah, GPS jamming is similar to kinetic mitigation in that there's a lot of, there's a lot of collateral damage, and you have to really assess what is the threat. And within, the, within uh, many countries... The threat of terrorism is exactly at point zero 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 one percent. When was the last time we saw a terrorist with a drone fly into an airport compared to how many times 13-year-old kids right. flew their drones near right. an airport? But GPS jamming, the problem with it is, is that people don't realize when, from a technological standpoint how many things rely on GPS. GPS is used in many, many devices that are used in everyday life for not for location services, but for time synchronization. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you start jamming GPS, you cause huge, huge issues. The Navy had an incident uh, a few years back, uh, I believe it was in San- the, down in, near San Diego, where they accidentally turned on a, uh, a barrage GPS jammer. And that was one of the first incidences where we saw m- the mass damage of what happens when you turn on a, G- a GPS jammer. 
you go to the New York Stock Exchange, they were disrupted every single day at the exact same time, multiple days in a row. And finally, they they were able to find out that somebody was had a GPS jammer in their truck driving across the road. Yeah, so I I, th- I think what you're saying is if you kind of put this into context, you know, uh, you know, 99 of the uh, the threat out there is clueless and careless, and then opportunistic criminal, uh, you know, point zero zero one percent are those uh, terrorists that are able to. Um, uh, you know, fly autonomously, but even they've got some vulnerabilities. And then when you really start talking about uh, using the type of high-power barrage GPS jamming that would be effective against uh, that point zero zero one percent there's not a significant portion of it out there that uh, it would be really worth doing that. But what about, you know, more directional jammers, lower-powered GPS jammers? Well, well I was thinking, there? and you mentioned the urban environment, and I was thinking, you know, how much confidence do you have within that kind of holy grail environment? Sure. Yeah. So to, to address both of those, the direction, directional jammers, they certainly help to uh, bring the collateral damage to narrow it. At the same time, you have to. Most of them are handheld systems which have limited range. They also mm-hmm. require an operator to visually see a drone. So when we were talking about the demos that we do, one of the you're, you're talking about the demo and how uh, we it took a lot to really figure out how to make them actually a little bit uh, theatrical, because when you when you mitigate a drone two kilometers away. Nobody, you can't even see a drone. You can't even, you can barely see a person. Most people can't see a person one kilometer away. You can't right. see a drone two kilometers away. So we're like, look, we did it. <laughs> and they're right. like, what? Right. So when you talk, so when you have these these uh, these types of uh, you know portable handheld jammers, the drone has to be literally over your head or really really close to you, which is why terrorists have started to make their drones drop the explosive explosive right. ordinance when they get jammed. Exactly. Because they know that the person's really close nearby. <laughs> right, right, right. Hey, well, so, Luke, we're running a little bit – we're running out of time a little bit here. So let me let me just wrap it up here uh, and ask you one final question. Is there is there one thing that you want the audience to know that they can't hear, they haven't heard anywhere else, you know, at the at the at the last conference they attended or the last panel they were participating on as a panelist? Is there something out there that you can tell us in the audience that they don't already know that's that's new and fresh? Absolutely. I I'll I'll tell you the industry's best kept secret. There is no roll, bullet. <laughs> Absolutely, there is no silver bullet in Counter UAS. Well it's said. about choosing technology that truly addresses the threat, whether that's disruption or terrorists, whatever that threat is, and then ensuring that the Counter UAS system does not cause more disruptive value than the, what you're trying to stop. Uh, well said, well yeah, said. Well, it takes a village. That's, yep. uh, that's a good point. Well, our guest today on Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat was uh, Luke Fox from White Fox, CEO and founder. Thank you, Luke, for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Please check out whitefoxdefense.com. That's a wrap for this week's edition of Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher of Inside Unmanned Systems, saying farewell from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C.